The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. The Pet Buzz gives you the latest 411 on everything pet related. Everything pet related. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic Pet Duo. Hey, Dr. Fleck. Yes. So much to talk about today. Yes. Let's kick off the show with our weekly countdown. Well, in segment four, we're talking with Open the Government Policy Analyst Freddie Martinez about why the sex of Conan, the Special Forces German Shepherd dog that took down Al Baghdadi, is relevant to the Freedom of Information Act. In segment three, we talk with John Goodwin, the Senior Director of the Humane Society of the United States, Stop Puppy Mills campaign about the Horrible Hundred. And in two... And in this portion of the show, we are giving you our best of Fourth of July pet tips. And in segment one, as buyer expectations change and societies become more driven by the need for transparency, sustainability, and consumer goods, retail companies are having to transform. And how they respond today, especially during the pandemic will shape their tomorrow. So joining us today to discuss pet owner consumer trends and buying patterns, especially during the pandemic, is Phil Chang, retail industry expert. Hi there. Phil, great to have you here. So, you know, we're living in these unprecedented times and, you know, what emerging pet retail trends were predicted for 2020 and have these trends been significantly impacted by the coronavirus pandemic? Yeah, so there, there are really three trends. Uh, the first one is click and collect. The second one is experiential retail. And I would say the third one is, uh, you know, something like grain friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say, you know, on the first one, click and collect, um, it's exploded. People are trying to stay out of stores. Uh, and so they're searching for products online and then they're buying at retail and collecting it at the curb. Did we see that as a trend prior? I mean, do we know that 2020 was going to go in that direction, more online retail shopping? We always knew that um, folks were going to go online, but we really didn't know. You know, there was speculation whether it would be an Amazon thing and you would get it delivered to your door. But click and collect has always been something within pet that has been, you know, something that um, pet retailers have always wondered about is could they get people to come to the curbside or come and pick up at store? Um, and so now that's, that's a thing, right? It's, it's, uh, exploding across the market. Um, if you can't do this, you've got to be able to do it. Um, you know, it will probably continue well into next year. Um, the second one that goes along with that experiential retail, uh, we've been worried about, um, you know, being able to provide the right experience in store. That's now shifted online. So you're going to have to look at uh, things like live chats and things like that that are going to be able to help the consumer replace the in-store shopping experience so that they still come to your store and buy from your store. And the last one, you know, uh, grain-friendly or, or, you know, gluten-free and all these sort of things or or grain-free, you know, to some extent, some of that's gone out the window, again, because of COVID. Uh, You know, people can buy what they can buy. Um, they're, They're going to be limited by logistics. Uh, you know, if you're if you're into raw and frozen, for example, that stuff's all going to be challenging now. And so we're going to see that change again. You know, and it has 
since uh, coronavirus started and will continue to change right through the balance of this year. So, Phil, market research firm Package Facts released a kind of a pessimistic forecast for the pet industry in 2020, but called out Chewy and online pet retailers as the bright spots in the industry. So the Package Facts report, U.S. Pet Market Outlook 2020-21, forecast a 17% decline in sales of pet products and services. How do you envision the online shopping experience will change for pet owners over the next six months? This is a great question. Thank I, you. I think that uh, <laughs> Nika split it in half. You know, the first half is, is really that the online sales portion. So I referenced click and collect. You know, Chewy and these guys, they are already online. And so obviously this plays into their strength. They're going to be bright spots and they will continue to be. Um, as, you know, bricks and mortar retailer and local pet retailers get online and start selling click and collect, I think that number will come up as well. And so I think they'll, they'll all be able to benefit from that. Services is a, a totally different ball game. Uh, you know, like grooming services and all those sorts of things have taken a big hit because they can't, you know, they just can't be around, um, and, and be open. And so, um, this one's up in the air. Like, you know, do you see them mobilized? Do they start to, you know, do the mobile businesses where they can service dogs one on one or pets one on one? Does that change that industry? I do see decline, but I also think that by the end of the year, you're going to see a much flatter, it won't be minus 17. It'll, it'll probably be more closer to flat based on, on retail buys. What do you think, Michael Fleck? A couple of things. Number one is I think they're going to be looking for a quality of life as long as this doesn't go on forever because of the men- mental state that people are, are now sharing and the concern for their own economic well-being. The second thing I would say is that the veterinary service industry is exploding. I mean, it's exploding. It's only limited by the delivery system for the uh, for the veterinarians. My practice, for example, I don't use the concierge approach. And as I talk to most of my colleagues, since the COVID-19 pandemic has has hit, most everybody around our area anyway has seen either a higher level of uh, service and therefore income, very little going the other way, only limited to the stress and the strain on the staff and the veterinarians in general. So uh, I see this exploding, uh, you know, it may be affecting the product uh, sales, but as far as, as the service delivery, the service providing for veterinarians, it's exploding. And part of that is because of what you, you brought about. The people want the quality of life for their pet is for themselves when they're home all the time. Good insight, Dr. Fleck. I mean, I think it's really interesting talking about this subject for our listening audience because they're the ones out there making the decisions. And at the end of the day, we know the mighty dollar rules. We want high quality of life for our pet, but we also have to consider what we can afford, especially in these dark times where not everyone is working and people have the misconception. It's just like, you know, some retail workers, restaurant workers, but it's a lot of higher echelon folks around the country with the, in these major corporations that are not necessarily operating to the best of their ability because people are working from home. 
But my point is, is that this has really only been going on for what seems like forever, but it's only been a few months. If those few months extend into another few months and then another few months, uh, the challenges for economic okay. well-being. This is a great point. Last question. How do you think Christmas in the pet industry is going to do, Phil? Good point. I think that uh, I think cheaper products are going to rain. Uh, I think the you know um, I, I think to all your points, right? I mean, um, this economy needs to rebound, right? Otherwise, otherwise, it, it you know even the pet sector, which has has been largely unaffected by recessions, is is going to go through a bit of a shrink, right? Because people just won't be able to afford. Um, you know, as, as many things, the household income is shrinking, right? Like people are out of work. Um, and, and you're right. It's, it's not just, it's not just retail folks. It's, it's senior management. It's marketers. It's, um, you know, it's, it's pretty widespread, right? So I think, uh, I think the, the economy needs to recover, um, you know, in order for, for, um, us to have a good, a good Christmas. Me personally, 2020 is a bust. Start preparing for 2021. Dr. Fleck, last words? Not only do we have to be concerned about what the economic effect is for purchasing products, having dollars available, but what's the mental effect on people? And how's that really going to have an effect on their relationships with their pets. Okay, on that note, Phil, thanks so much for coming and stopping by. We're going to have you come back. We love talking to you. Yeah, no, I, I love it. Thanks for having me. Phil Cheng, retail industry expert. So for more information about the APPA, visit APPA.org. And to learn more about Phil, visit RetailPhil.com. Up next, our 4th of July tips. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. So, I'm kind of new here, but I've noticed a trend. My human does this funny thing where she goes around and gets all my toys, and then she hides them in that basket by the door. You know, but it's always the same basket, and it's always in the the same place. And then she acts so surprised when I find them, but, you know, she's putting them in the same basket. Again. It's like, hello, that's where you put it last time. You were the worst at hide-and-go-seek. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? I love animals and want my pets to be healthy. So I asked our vet who recommended EpiPet Ear Cleaner. It's super simple, and it even smells good. Every week I use it on both my dog and my cat to gently remove wax and debris. I even told my friend Aiden to try EpiPet on his dog Sophie, who always had red ears. But not anymore. Now we both have happy and healthy pets. Thanks, EpiPet. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. 
For more information, visit epi-pet.com. Thank you so much for joining us on the Pet Buzz this morning. This show is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, Me. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian, Dr. Michael Fleck. You know, it's so funny. Usually we have celebrity news this time of the year, but I really want to focus on 4th of July. And the reason I want to focus on 4th of July is because really, Dr. Fleck, you and I have talked about this. What holidays have we really enjoyed since the pandemic? I mean, no St. Patrick's Day, right? No April Fool's Day, no Cinco de Mayo, no Memorial Day. Oh, I forgot. No Easter, no Passover. The year just swings by, floats by without recognition of any special days. And of course, no celebrations. And it's interesting because, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about Fourth of July is because it's one of those holidays that in the past we've always talked about dogs that have gotten away. It's one of the biggest days of the year where dogs go missing. And that has to do with the opening and the closing of doors when people are having parties and having guests in. And the fear that the pets have because of the loud noises. The loud noises from the parties, as well as the loud noises from the fire from the fireworks. From the fireworks. And also, it's a good time of the year, as we know, to make sure your ID on your dog is updated with your cell phone number. And that really is just a casual trip right to the local pet store for some new pet tags. You know, this year, July 4th, may be even more dangerous for pets because the typical waterfront or fairground fireworks, they're not going to be offered this year. So as we already know, private fireworks sales have exploded in numbers this year. So we know that there's going to be in the neighborhoods where you live an extremely large number of these unusual fireworks exhibits that our pets just aren't used to. Yeah, I mean, more people, like you said, more people are buying fireworks. So I expect more fireworks celebrations in backyards and in front yards and in neighborhood streets. So it's a great idea. It's the best idea not to have your pet subject to any of those or participate in any of those loud noises. A, it could hurt their ears. B, it could scare them and they could run away. So it's always a great idea. And this is what always kills me. You know, people, when they have a pet, they tend to have their pet in a cage or a crate when they're young. And then when the pet gets older, they get rid of it. But this is a great time to break out those crates, put your pet in a room, yes, play some soft music, you know, keep him with water and some snacks. He probably won't eat it or turn the TV on if you don't want to play music for him and just keep him isolated. And just put a note on the door. So if you have one or two guests over, you have family members over, you just don't want him to be getting out in the yard and having him partake in the celebrations. And eventually, maybe if somebody leaves the gate open, disappear. Yes. And don't forget, because July 4th this year is on a Saturday, we can expect the whole weekend to be ridden a little crazy. With, yeah, ridden a little with so crazy. many fireworks. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And Monday, and even Thursday, because so many people are home. And the other thing that we want to remind people is, you know what? 
I know you might want to have family and friends over and that's fine. You know, keep it small, but also make sure you remind everyone if they're not feeling well, if they have a temperature to stay home. Also tell your pet, your guests, just leave your pet alone because we know that humans can pass COVID to pets. Um, and the perfect example of that is that cat in upstate New York. There were two cats early on in the, in the, uh, United States pet COVID epidemic. Epidemic. Oh, I can't say that. We also know early on that there were two cats early on in the COVID pet epidemic. I can't even say that. Okay. So we know that early on, this was, you know, right after the zoo animals when there were two homes with cats and the cats got COVID. One cat got COVID, not from anybody in the house, but from contact with a human being that no one has any idea. Maybe someone came into the home that was asymptomatic. So just you know, well, don't forget about the reported case in the pug in North Carolina where the family, mm-hmm. I believe uh, the mother or the, the, the female of the house was right. a physician. Yeah. And the family had it. Um, well, remember, that pug never got it. Remember, he was tested later on and the results came out when the German shepherd got it that that pug did not have COVID. We talked about that. We talked about so many COVID cases with animals, it's easy to get confused. And I think as veterinarians, we all have recognized that probably, probably some of our patients that we've seen over the last four months that have shown clinical signs of COVID may have had COVID. Maybe. But we can't, but we can't do anything about that at this the point. The other thing is, you know, everyone's going to be drinking mm-hmm. and putting their beers on the ground or a table. They're going to be eating hamburgers and hot dogs. It's not really a good time to give your pet any alcoholic beverages or let him lick up any alcoholic beverages from any cups. So you want to throw those away. Make sure you have tall garbage cans that Fido can't get into. Uh, And don't give him any hot dogs or hamburgers. And and unfortunately, there's really not a clear uh, medication to be used for all of the individuals to reduce their anxiety from, from the fireworks. I think that most of us as veterinarians have attempted to use most everything on the market. And there are some that work on some pets, but they don't work on all. Sure. And and so if you are going to try to attempt to get some medication for the anxiety to slow them down during the, the fireworks, you have to work with your veterinarian and see if there's something that, yeah. that, that they can work. You know what I think a better solution is? Just board your dog at a reputable facility for the day if you suspect your neighborhood is going to be gay with activity and throughout the day and throughout the night. Because like you said, 4th of July is on a Saturday. The kids are going to get up. People are going to be in the streets. And most of those facilities, they may not be soundproof, but they're definitely reduced in outside sound. Exactly. You know, I mean, I think that's probably the best thing. I mean, at the end of the day... You want to do what's best for your pet. You also want to do what's best for your wallet. So exactly. let's just leave it at there. Up next, segment three, we are going to talk with John Goodwin from the Humane Society about the Horrible 100. Stay tuned. You're going to learn about that real soon. So I'm a cat, and I just moved in with this new human, and she's got this little toy she's always playing with all day long. Tap, 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 bloop, bloop. She can't put it down. There it is. Oh, and get this. She even talks to it. Last week, she asked it for Chinese. And guess what? Egg rolls showed up like magic. 
Humans have cool toys. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the shelterpetproject.org. Often should you bathe your pet? Well, I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed, and I'm asked that question often. How often you should wash your dog depends on a number of factors, including his health, breed, coat, and activity level, as well as where these activities are taking place. Dogs who spend days outside rolling in things are going to need a bath far more often than the ones who spend most of their time on the couch. Or you can always take the smell test. If your dog walks into the room and you can smell them, it's time for a bath. Make sure when it's time for a bath, you gather up all the supplies, including a non-slip mat and plenty of towels. Use shampoo formulated for dogs and turn your cell phone off to avoid distraction. And if you have a dog that hates getting a bath, smear some peanut butter on the bathtub wall and let him lick it off while you bathe him. Then he'll know bathing can really be a treat. Warmer temperatures mean more time outside. You have sunscreen for yourself, but what about Fido? According to the American Animal Hospital Association and the American College of Veterinary Dermatology, pets need sunscreen too. I love two things, sports and my dog Chester. Where I go, he goes. To the beach, to play soccer, everywhere. We spend a lot of time together in the sun, so I always carry a can of EpiPet sunscreen. So Chester is protected from the sun's harmful UV rays. I just spray it on and I don't have to worry. Chester is protected, so I know my sports buddy is going to be with me for a long time. Thanks, EpiPet. Use EpiPet Sun Protector, the only FDA-approved pet sunscreen on short-haired, light-colored, hairless, golden retrievers, and other dogs susceptible to skin cancer. Contained in a sports bottle, EpiPet allows you to turn the bottle upside down, making it easier to spray your dog all over to protect your dog from the sun all day and every day. Visit epi-pet.com. Hey, welcome back. You are listening to the Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio. I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. And I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. Well, the Humane Society of the United States reports on problem puppy mills, including some dealers, resellers, and transporters. The Horrible 100 Report is a list of known problematic puppy breeding and or puppy brokering facilities and joining us today to talk about this humane society of united states report is john goodwin john is the senior director of the humane society of the united states stop puppy mills campaign john welcome to the pet buzz hey hey thanks for having me you know i I, you know it's funny because um every time you're here john with us it kind of reminds me of a phone conversation that I had not such a long time ago um, with a, a notable acquaintance of mine and who shows purebred dogs. And she would listen. She was listening to the show for a while. And she said to me, I don't understand why you have the Humane Society of the United States on. And I, I told her that even though I have purebred dogs and, and actually Dr. Frack and I have more purebred dogs than we have rescue dogs, we think it's our primary responsibility of this show. Um, we don't judge here. We want to educate and we want as many different dog organizations as possible to come to the show and provide their input. And the Humane Society does such great work 
We are always happy to work with you and have you on our show. So I wanted to say that because I think sometimes when you have a show, you know, people talk about having a platform, right, Dr. Fleck? Mm -hmm. And I think you and I agreed when we had the show, it was important to have as many different voices on the show as possible. And and as infrequently as possible to be uh, judging. Exactly. And, you know, you're one of our favorite guests, John, because you always enlighten us and bring so much to our listening audience. And we just wanted to say thank you. She's such a brown nose. Well, well, thank you. And and she may think that we have, uh, you know, total opposition to breeding dogs. And that's not the case. The issue here is these puppy mills that mm-hmm. treat the mother dogs like livestock commodities and don't, don't give them anything that resembles the life they deserve at all. And that's the... Uh, that's the focus. I really think there's more common ground than a lot of uh, people in the dog breeding community realize. But you have to remember that there are some entities that register dogs, and they're registering more dogs from puppy mills than from what we would call responsible breeders because the puppy mills simply produce more puppies. And so then they have a financial incentive to kind of scare the breeding community into thinking that, oh, they're trying to take away all pet ownership when nothing could be farther from the truth. So, John, what do pet lovers need to know about this horrible hundreds report? The horrible hundred, you know, we base this on inspection reports that we get from government agencies that, at least with some puppy mills, whether it's the USDA or in some states, go in and uh, inspect the conditions. And what we found over the years is that there's been a sharp decline in enforcement by the USDA in regards to these minimal regulations that some of these puppy mills have to have to follow. And in fact, we found a number of places who were getting cited by state officials for things like shooting a whole bunch of dogs when they didn't want them anymore. And the puppy mill saying, oh my gosh, we didn't know that was going to be a problem. The USDA inspector told us that wasn't going to be a problem. So we're really seeing a massive failure at the USDA level to enforce animal welfare provisions that provide some very basic level of care for these dogs and these puppy mills. And it's very unfortunate. I remember last year when you were here talking about the horrible hundred, it's kind of a maze stay for the show. Laura Trump was helping to circulate a petition to stop irresponsible breeding and asking the USDA to intervene in some of these cases. How, I mean, when we look back, remember Dr. Fleck, when we, and we saw Laura on television last year, um, how effective was that campaign, and has the US, USDA really taken more of a stance? Uh, unfortunately, they haven't given her uh, the due that, that I think she deserved. I mean, she really has fought hard for the dogs, and I give her credit for that. But the USDA's leadership is made up of some very extreme people. Uh, you know, when, this, when there was the transition from the Obama administration to the Trump administration, the official that kind of oversaw the transition was a guy named Brian Klippenstein, who previously had been the executive director of a group called Protect the Harvest. This is an organization that spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in North Dakota to stop a ballot initiative that would have made it a felony to torture a dog, cat, or horse. I mean, they just don't want any rules for people who put their hands on animals at all. And so they're just, she ran into some people in the bureaucracy that just, you know, refused to give any ground. There was some minimal, minimal, uh, a minimal step forward 
a rule that requires that dogs have continuous access to water and that requires that the puppy mill's veterinary plan require a annual hands-on exam. Not that they actually do the hands-on exam, but that it be in their plan. So, you know, those are okay, but you can still keep a dog in a cage only six inches longer than her body, and that's allowed under the USDA standards. And then the pet stores like Petland turn around and say, oh, all of our breeders are USDA licensed, and they mislead people into thinking that that means that there's some sort of guarantee of animal care, when in fact, you can keep dogs in conditions that are legal under USDA. If it was you or me, the sheriff might come in and arrest us. That's the problem. Yeah, it, it, it's important to talk in terms of the general care of these pets, but how about the genetic, how would you call it, insufficiency um, and the problems that develop because of the disease maladies that are there in many of these individuals that are procreated and recreated. Those are awful conditions that we see as practicing veterinarians. Sure. But, but why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the businesses on that list? Sure, sure. Well, I mean, there was one puppy mill, for example, in Kansas that they admitted that they shot and killed two dozen dogs. And state inspectors cited them uh, for doing that, but the USDA did not. Uh, there was another one in Iowa, and this is a place that has over 650 dogs. And they don't have 65 staff. You know, it's just a few people there. So no surprise, the USDA has found nearly 50 sick or injured animals just in the last few years there, you know, including dogs that had open wounds. Of course, they managed somehow to keep their USDA license, which is what they need to sell to pet stores and to sell over the Internet site unseen. Uh, other places in Missouri, for example, where there were dogs who were, you know, several kennels there, emaciated dogs that were in very poor conditions. Uh, Missouri Attorney General has taken a few of these places to court and, in fact, filed a new lawsuit against one of these puppy mills after our horrible 100 report came out. So we think the report's having some effect like that. But, you know, similar conditions to what I described in pretty much all of the injuries. It's a shame. It really, really is. So what can we tell pet owners? How can they use this information? Yeah, how can they judge what to do? When they're, you know, I mean, obviously, we, we, we're not encouraging people to buy dogs from pet stores. Well, I think that as far as when acquiring a pet, I, I think that if they don't even have to look at the report, if they follow some very simple advice, which is either adopt a homeless animal from a rescue or shelter, or if you're buying a puppy from a breeder, let's say you have your heart set on you know, a rare breed that you can't find a shelter, something like that. Three things. Meet the breeder, meet the mother dog, see where the mother dog lives. If, you, if you're following that advice, you, you don't have to read the reports because you're going to see what you're going to see. But we hope that others who are really interested in helping save these dogs will find a lot of value in the report. If they find that a local pet store is sourcing puppies from uh, one of the mills who's been in one of our Horrible 100 reports, and they're all available online at humanesociety.org slash horrible-100. So, you know, we have a very limited time. So I, what I want to do is I want to have you come back because I want to find out what's happening with Petland Discount and how the Humane Society is involved. Can you come back and talk about it in about a week or oh, so? Yeah. So let's do that. Absolutely. 
So for more information, visit about John and what he's working on, which is so many things, more than just the puppy mill campaign. Visit HSUS.org. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? EpiPet to the rescue. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, visit epi-pet.com. I'm petronologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We are urban. Suburban. And and country. country. Hey, Dr. Fleck. Yes. Do you remember Conan, the German shepherd? The German shepherd dog about what? Who pulled down, that was involved and won the medal with Trump. Okay. Okay. Yes. So recently a new attempt to force the government to release the veterinary records of Conan would settle a debate once and all, and that is, is Conan a male or a female dog? But really, what do we need to know, or does disclosing the dog's sex represent a bigger issue? So, joining us to discuss why we need to know about Conan's sex and more is Freddie Martinez. Freddie is policy analyst at Open the Government. Prior, Freddie was the executive director of Lucy Parsons Labs, a police accountability nonprofit. He is an activist, security engineer, and was previously a physicist. He was also a Mozilla Ford Foundation Open Web Fellow. Freddie, welcome to the Pet Buzz today. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Dr. Floyd. Hey, before we get started, can you remind us, give us the backstory about Conan? Sure. Um, so Conan is a special operations dog um, who was part of the raid that killed an ISIS leader. And so this was sort of global news, um, and he sort of, or he or she, uh, Conan the dog, is part of this very elite sort of special operations unit in the U.S. military. So, you know, the kind of dog that would be featured in a video game. This is the kind of uh, unit that Conan uh, is a part of. Yeah, so, I mean, at the bottom line, why do we care about his sex? You know, mm-hmm. he was supposedly got shot. President Trump made this whole big deal. He recovered very quickly. And with pleasure, we watched him. Right, right. We, well, it was work. huge. It was a huge thing because he's not... I mean, I've, I've actually... And you know this, Dr. Mullen, I Even though President Trump doesn't have a dog... He does like dogs, and yes. I've been in his office with him petting the winner of the Westminster, Westminster Kennel Club show. dog show. And he liked the dog because it was Scottish, Scottish deerhound. His mother's Scottish, so 
you know, whatever. And then he, you know, he's seen a, like Uno the Beagle. Okay, so, but Freddie, tell us, why do we have to care about his sex? What's the big deal if he's a... Actually, um, the, the U.S. government declared Conan's veterinary records a national security secret. Um, and they said that even acknowledging uh, that these records even exist, would compromise national security. Um, so, uh, on the one hand, you have, you know, the president on the White House lawn talking about Conan's accomplishments, and on the other hand, it, the government is sort of classifies all these records about Conan, and it's kind of a bigger story of how often the government will classify information, you know, unnecessarily uh, and in a way for, for, for really no reason. So it's really, really the that. bigger issue is has to do with the Freedom of Information Act and how information is classified. Is that correct? Is that what we're hearing? Yeah. So the Freedom of Information Act allows anyone, the general public, access to records, but a Range of records are not all out. Anything that includes that would anything essentially that would compromise national security is considered exempt. However, we do have exceptions to that as well, and, and that includes like records that have been officially acknowledged or officially disclosed by the government. And that's why it matters that the white the president is on the White House lawn talking about Conan's accomplishments and and the fact that he was injured. Um, you know, the government shouldn't be classifying that, those sets of records that, that it itself has already acknowledged exist. Okay, so so really at the end of the day, does this sound right to you, Dr. Fleck? Like they classify, I mean, he's a special ops dog. They don't want, they said he did all this stuff, but they don't want to talk about his sex. I mean, I guess, is that really a national security issue, do you think? I, I can't see why sex would have anything to do with, no, not sex, but gender. It's, it's, it's gender. That's anything to do with it. <laughs> okay, his gender or her gender. Right. Yes, yes. No, I can't see how that. I would. I could see maybe where the training was done, not knowing about uh, being secure about information about things like that, or the type of training or how training. But, but as for the the gender. I, I don't. Yeah, I mean, after they admitted like all this stuff, but uh, like Freddie said, it's a bigger issue. It's about how they classify or de- right, Freddie declassify information. Yeah, exactly, and and you see this all, um, you know, all over. Uh, it's a, it's an issue that we're hearing about um, in many different capacities. So, for example, in today's front page article, New York Times, they're talking about when was the president briefed on an issue. But we have no way of knowing that because the president's daily briefings include classified information, and those are, of course, hidden from the public. So we really have to question what we're hearing, what we're being told, because we we have no access to primary documents. Right. Um, And that's really the issue here. Yes, the age of classified information seems to be really laborious to me. But how can your lawsuit help with this classification process um so what we're really seeking is to show to the court that on the face of it the fact that the documents are classified is is basically we're saying that that it's absurd that they would be classified and we we hope that the court will accept those arguments and we'll see what you know i think we'll have a pretty good shot to show that 
I mean, some of these cases I find that the scope is so narrow. I mean, you know, when the, when judges rule, sometimes they'll rule on a narrow scope versus an open issue, meaning like, is this is this so ridiculous? Is this issue so ridiculous that it'll apply to other national security secrets? I think that's one thing. But really, the reason that we wanted to have you here is to talk about this as just one issue of learning more about the Freedom of Information Act. And now, since Um, we're exposed to information on a daily basis of things that have gone on and conversations, and as more and more people write books about what's going on necessarily in this administration in terms of just how the government works. I don't think we've ever seen so many. I mean, have you, Dr. Flat? I mean, maybe maybe when Nixon was president, but... Yeah, we have freedom of information about the, the topic of concern, and now we're also having freedom of information about the investigators and investigation of the topics of concern. It's becoming very, very involved. And uh, that's a great point about, uh, you know, Nixon. Um, after the Nixon administration, the Congress actually passed numerous reforms to the Freedom of Information Act to strengthen the public's right to know with the belief that future administrations would be more open and more transparent. And what we're seeing is sort of a shift away from that, especially after 9-11. So I think it's important for the public to push back on government secrecy in general. Okay. Well, let's leave it at that. Freddie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks yeah. for having me, Charlotte. Thank you, Dr. Fleck. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Yeah, that was a really interesting interview with Freddie, you know, the policy analyst from Open the Government, about how his recent filed lawsuit about the sex of Conan is going to help Americans learn more about the government. I mean, it might seem trivial to some people, but sometimes on the show, People think we only talk about dogs here, and I think we do talk about dogs and cats and other animals, of course, but sometimes it's a bigger issue. And just think, it was driven by the canine. I mean, That's driven cool, by huh? a canine. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, sometimes I think, you know, we find news stories that kind of help us navigate uh, the world in which we live in. They're such a big part of our life. They really are. And a big part of our policy making. Exactly. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. It's always too soon to wrap the show, especially when we have such wow, great conversation. what an interesting show today, wasn't it? Yeah. So let's give everybody a preview for next week. Next week, we're going to talk about dogs, cats, and horses. Okay. <laughs> right? Okay. So I bet you I'd like to give special thanks to our guests. Do you want me to do that? Sure, please do. Okay. Uh, Phil Chang, John Goodwin, and Freddie Martinez, thank you for being such great Great interviews. And, of course, we have to thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin, coat, and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. And if you have a question, write to us at teamatthepetbuzz.com. We'll try to cover it on next week's show. And if you've missed any portion of this show, visit our social media channels as well as your favorite streaming channel. Listen to the linked podcast on Monday morning. And just remember, we're here each week to help you take better care of your pets. As I say every week, peace out and pet love. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. 
The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. Tune in each week for the latest 411 on everything pet related. Visit our website at www.thepetbuzz.com. Learn more about us, the show, and our guests. My name is Michelle Schaefer. I'm the mom of three boys, and I'm from Haddonfield and North Wildwood, New Jersey. I met Aladdin through my work with Lilo's Promise Animal Rescue, and I foster the emaciated dogs that come into our program. Aladdin came to us. He had been dumped at the side of the road. He weighed about 18 pounds. He had broken bones, other wounds, and he was missing 12 teeth. He was the worst abuse case I had ever seen. The most moving experience that I've had while working with Aladdin were when we were first responders at the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, Florida. And Aladdin usually works off leash. He was on leash that night, and he led me over to a very specific person. And here, that man had been in the nightclub the night of the shootings. He and Aladdin shared a very special moment that really made me cry. Aladdin has changed the way I see the world in a million different ways. The main thing is to treat people with kindness and compassion. My name is Michelle Schaefer and Aladdin and I are individuals.